up, Internet. You must, in fact, stand in front of the public and God and obliterate yourself. My name is Matthew Kroll. And the narcissism of small differences leads to conformity. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Tar. Now, with the accent over the A, how does that change the pronunciation? Has it become Tare? No, tar? I think it's just Tar. It is they, just tar. they reference her as Tar. I know, the, but the I just think we should be fancy because we're, we're being fancy this week. Well, I, sure. <laughs> I also, we shouldn't make it a sticky subject when discussing Tar. Yeah. Uh, I think it should be... Feathered. Uh, we, should be, we, should be, we should be flowing like feathers <laughs> in the wind. Sure. Sure. Let's go with that. I um, am very excited about this movie, and I'm very excited to talk to you about this movie, but not least of which because we both went and saw this movie in a movie theater, unlike the last few movies that we've been doing. Um, uh, in the which, same movie theater, 24 hours apart. Exactly. We could have gone together, but but unfortunately, we live in two different uh, spa- uh, temporal dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we des- so despite uh, the ability to carpool... Uh, we did not, and just uh, instead went in separate times. I have lots of thoughts about this movie, and I think we I think this is going to be a fun discussion. Before we get to that, uh, shall we read an email that we got this week? I, I believe we shall, and by we, I mean you. All right. This is coming in from Hassan, who has emailed us before uh, to, and wanted to say thank you so much for reading my email. Uh, I'm usually sort of unlucky in these regards, where I would send an email to a podcast and it just disappears, so my thanks. You and me both, Hassan. You and me both. You picked the right <laughs> podcast because because we love getting emails from everyone, uh, and so we would be ha- if, you, if you write us in, we will be happy to read out your email, unless it's got rude um, fan fiction where Matt and I are making out, and in which case, Maybe we'll still read it. I well, I guess it depends how passionate the scene yeah, is. Yeah, if the writing is good. If the writing's good. If the writing's good, we will definitely read it out. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Hassan continues, as I'm moving through the episodes, Hassan is, of course, listening to all of our back catalog at this time. I was excited and kind of nervous when I reached your double review in- episode of Inception and Speed Racer because Speed Racer is a film that is very near and dear to my heart. When I first saw the film, I was just excited by the visuals and racing because I grew up watching anime and motorsports fans in general. But as I got older, I realized that I'm a sucker for movies that wear their heart on their sleeve. And I absolutely agree with you that Speed Racer was a palate cleanser for for them, for them being the Wachowskis, I presume. And since then, the Wachowskis have made movies which, in my opinion, are sincere to a fault. From Cloud Atlas to Sensei to Matrix Resurrection, there is a complete lack of cynicism in their work. And as someone who's just exhausted with so much of the geek culture fueled by cynicism and negativity, I found the work of Lily and Lana Wachowski to be so refreshing. Wish you all the best. P.S. How is it possible that there are no other movie podcasts out there? I mean, has nobody thought of copying your formula? To which I will say, uh, Hassan, nobody has. We uh, No one's cracked it. We stand no one's alone cracked it. at the podium obliterating yeah. ourselves. Listen, listen. I, I, they just keep making movies, right? Yeah. And we keep talking about them. <laughs> and it, we're like, there has to be... Someone else out there with access to recording equipment that has thoughts on film. Turns out, not really. Not really. Not really. No. no. It's not a lucrative field, as it turns out, either. Well... I mean, there is that. Have you, have you revisited Speed Racer um, since we yes. talked? About, you have. Yeah. Oh, and how was it? Oh, it's great. Yeah. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't remember precisely. Uh, the, God, we've done nearly four hundred of these things, so I don't remember the specific points we made. Mm-hmm. But I completely agree with Hassan. Like the cynicism is there's none. Yeah, it's just like joy for subject matter. Yeah, and when you have something like uh, a cartoon of that era. Uh, to sort of play with and sort of live in, 
I much would rather what they did as opposed to like a gritty reboot or like some <laughs> realistic bullshit. Like I would. <laughs> I I remember uh, just thinking the film is a little overwhelming in terms of the sugar rush of it all, uh, and um, also feeling that the uh, that the the translation from from anime to movies doesn't quite work for me. But I I do one hundred percent agree with Hassan that there is not a whiff of cynicism. Neither is there in uh, Cloud Atlas and uh, Matrix Resurrections. I have not seen Sense Eight at this point, uh, but I'm a big fan of Cloud Atlas. Of those of those three films, Cloud Atlas would be the one that I would happily revisit. Uh, thank you again to to Hassan for emailing us in. And if anyone would like to, you can do so by emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or hitting us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. But we don't read tweets on the show. Well, we. Sometimes, Sometimes do, we do. Yeah. Have we done that in the past? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure we've yeah. done that in the past. Emails yeah. are more fun. Yeah. But, you, you, know, get, whatever, you get a lot down. Get into our Instagram page. I don't know. Send us something. Um, don't, because we'll never see it. Like, I I mean, we'll, we'll see a comment, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, tell us. I'm also, in, in Instagram, yeah. uh, if you like this week's uh, graphic. Yeah. Because this week's graphic was a huge pain in the ass. Really? And it came out kind of nice. I think it looked uh, awesome. But but uh, uh, in terms of being a pain in the ass, because I, I know we used, we no, we didn't cheat, but we used Instagram filters, right? When? For for the Avatar. Uh, uh, oh, for the Avatar. No, I'm so sorry. No, that one wasn't a pain in the ass. Oh. I'm talking about TARS. Oh, no, the okay. Avatar, the Avatar one was simple as hell because we did use Instagram filters. <laughs> I was saying, please comment on this one, the one you're listening to right now on Instagram, and give me praise because it was difficult. Yeah. If, for those who don't know, Matt does all the uh, Photoshopping. Uh, which, all the bad Photoshop. Well, but that has been a point of delight for many of our listeners. I think yes. I think uh, our Photoshopped faces in, in the worst places in movies has been uh, a delightful addition to the uh, movie podcasting business. Yes. Um, and uh, I want to say I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> Matt. I'm glad, I'm glad someone. <laughs> I, l- let me tell you why I was excited about this movie. Because um, last... he told us it was good. I, I, uh, That's yes, why I yes, was. Yes, because Izzy told us it was good. Of course, that is good. that is the reason. We're speaking, of course, of uh, BK Rewind on YouTube. Go check out our channel, uh, Arbitrary of, Arbitrar- of Good Taste in Movies, I guess. Arbiter? Yeah, no, that's not the word I'm thinking of, but anyway, oh. whatever it is. Uh, but I am a big fan of Todd Field and his last two films, In the Bedroom and Little Children. Little Children, I think, is one of the underappreciated masterpieces of the 21st century. That is, it's actually even hard to find a Blu-ray of that movie. And let me tell you right now, it is an awkward Google search to look up Little Children Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but it is yeah. an amazing, amazing, amazing movie. Um, one that I absolutely like. Uh, absolutely. I think it's uh, um, uh, which uh, Patrick Wilson and Kate Winslet. And the actor who was Rorschach in... Um, Watchmen, I forget. Okay. I think he, I believe he got nominated for an Oscar for it. Inc- absolutely incredible film. And uh, Todd Field's direction is amazing. Now, last week when we talked about Avatar, we talked about the fact that there's been like a 12-year gap between um, James Cameron's uh, last film, which was Avatar, and his new film, which will be Avatar Part 2. There has been a 16-year gap since Todd Field last made a movie. Uh, and he has been, of course, associated with many movies uh, in that time. He was going to be making one about John Didion. He, I, at some point, was going to be working on Cormac McCarthy's adaptation of Blood Meridian. Uh, he has been floating in the ether, working on things, but never quite getting one off the ground. Um, 
during the pandemic, I believe, as the story goes, Focus Features or whatever the production company said, look, whatever you want to write about, we will try to fund it. Um, yep. And I think for uh, uh, an Academy-nominated director of his caliber, um, I think that is uh, a great gamble. Of course, that gamble doesn't necessarily pay off because a film like Tar, uh, as far as the box office goes, uh, is currently made, I think, in the vicinity of a half, ooh, half a million dollars. Uh, and it is not a big box office drawer. Um, but I, it was certainly a movie that I was really, really, really excited to go see in a movie theater. And as uh, Izzy pointed out, uh, we should be starting a trend of uh, naming ourselves Tar Heads at this point, or maybe Stars, or uh, <laughs> what, what are the Tar-related uh Fandom could we create here? Oh, I don't know. Uh, the tar, the just, feather tars, the tar and feathers. I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, the tartar, the tartar binks. Ooh, <laughs> tartar sauce. Fancy. Uh, yeah, let the fools have their tartar sauce. <laughs> Um, so I was, I was, I, I was ready to go see this movie, uh, in theaters. This, this was not one that you, uh, as you discussed before, uh, were, were that aware of or knew no, about. I knew nothing. Kate I knew Blanchett's. Kate Blanchett was in it yep, and I knew it. Izzy said it was good. That's and it. I was like, yeah, I'll go see two hours and 40 minutes of this. Let's go. <laughs> what uh, if I told I actually, you it was good? Would you have, would that have helped? No. Ah, fuck. Uh, I, well, no, of course, look. No, it, I know it wouldn't have. <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. Let's actually, let's, hold on. Let's pause for a second okay. and talk about that. Okay. I don't know how you take my movie recommendations, okay. but when you tell me a film is good, yeah, I believe it. I do. I don't know if I'll enjoy the movie. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, like, that's not what, I, I, I understand that, like, you, you the, know what's funny is because I actually texted a friend of mine who was going to go see the movie with me, and we had this exact same conversation. Well, because, I mean, <laughs> you do know what you are talking about, <laughs> but our proclivities, as illustrated over the past eight years or whatever, right. are different. It's very different. <laughs> but, but. I mean, is that how you feel? Like, if I tell you. The one I've, I've the one I've got to, I've got to test this theory out with is uh, Escape Room because you t you talk to me so much about Escape Room and I'm like I really got to see this movie because I got I got I got to figure it out. Halloween's coming up. <laughs> I have it on Blu-ray. Come over, you're a block away. Just borrow it. We'll have a little spooky movie night. Okay, okay, all right. Actually, um, just I have the sequel. It's not as good, <laughs> but it's still really fun. Side note: Before we get, I know we've side noted already. I'm going to side note to the side note, which is that uh, a few parents and I, uh, you know, parents of with children in the same school, we have started a film club. Which has been a, like a little joyous thing that we do right now, and the uh, the first film we did was Athena, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. week we did the Thomas Crown Affair. We actually haven't met up about it yet. Uh, the 1968 version of the Thomas Crown Affair. What an interesting combination of two films we've watched. <laughs> and we are looking for a Halloween movie, so maybe I will pitch uh, Escape. Listen, listen. I don't know their their vibe. Like I don't know how your your parent friends roll. Yeah, uh, but it is. A fun as hell, dumbish, scary movie, but it's made really well. Well, so and, this is yeah. so 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 sorry. I, I did side note us. We're going to come back now to the track that you started us on, which is that in my case, if you, I do believe that you know what you're talking about, and I do believe you have really good taste. I think you have a more of a proclivity for, um, for really celebrating the bad, more more so than I do. Right. Like like I think I think you get a lot of pleasure out of movies that are are quote unquote bad or you could have an argument to say why it's not actually bad. Let's let's not say bad. Let's say excellence challenge. Excellence challenge. OK. 
But I also 100% agree, and this will come into play with this film, because this was, a, this was exactly the text message exchange that I wrote uh, to a friend of mine, and then I felt really guilty about it afterwards, which is that a friend of mine was coming to see this movie, and this friend of, my, uh, of mine and I, we talk a lot about science fiction movies. And this is a movie, a two, uh, Tar is a two-hour and 40-minute movie about a classical music conductor set in New York City. And Germany. Uh, and Berlin, which I would argue takes a good hour and change to actually settle in to figure out what the movie is about. And I said to that person, I really love this movie. I don't know if you'll like it. And that person said, what are you saying? I'm dumb. I'm too dumb to like this. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that, like, I like this movie and I think it's great. And I, I'm very smart. And I'm very smart. <laughs> no, but but I also know that my just as your tolerance for what might be excellence challenged movies is very high, my tolerance for movies that are challenging um, is is also very high. Sure, um, sure. And so I I as we talk about Tar in this in this respect, whether it's challenging or not, will be a really interesting conversation. Matt, could you tell us what Tar is about? I very much could. Uh, well, these are not my words, of course, as you all know, dear listeners. We turn to the Internet Movie Database uh, for this specific description, and it reads, as I say, Set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living composer-conductors and first-ever female music director of a major German orchestra. Did you- Side note, yeah. <laughs> I, every once in a while... I kind of slum it through like low level YouTube, right? Like right. I go, I go to like the the movie reviews that have like fifty views and things like that, and all this other stuff. And I have noticed Shahir. I don't know if we're trendsetters or not, right? But there's lots of people doing the IMDb re- uh, reading description and then rating the description of IMDb mm. now. I don't know if we invented it. <laughs> uh, and I do know we're the only podcast about movies. This is on a different platform. Right, I'm talking right. about. Uh, I mean, it's such a, it's such a unique and one of a kind idea. I just couldn't fathom anyone else coming up with it on their own accord. I think, uh, or their own accordion, as it turns out. Um, mm. And I think you should trademark it. Certainly, um, I've already called my lawyers. Of course, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fool. So, Matt, uh, uh, based on Izzy's recommendation and ignoring my excitement, sure. What did you think? Of Todd Field's first film in sixteen years. By the way, have you have you seen uh, In the Bedroom or Little Children? I have not. This is my first Todd Field's joint. Have you seen uh, Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, but he was in that. He's in that. Yes, and uh, the password is Fidelio. Um, right, but and, but I he, I haven't seen a film he's directed or written. Okay. Uh, there, um, there's an interesting connection to Eyes Wide Shut because it was, of course, directed by uh, Stanley Kubrick. And uh, Stanley Kubrick's producer Leon Vitali went on to work with Todd Field and. Field himself says he is, he's uh, heavily influenced by Kubrick. Ah, well, I mean that's pretty clear. Mm. Uh, I think in this film. Uh, so overall, I really dug it. But it had an interesting thing um, happen to me as I was watching it, and that was my. This is a movie that is exquisitely done. I think it uh, the performances are subtle but super, super, super deep. I really love the look of the film. It feels it gives you a sort of conspiratorial vibe without like like actually leaning on all the tropes that those things kind of have. Uh, you, you feel like you are living with this woman with Lydia Tarr uh, through highs and lows. 
um, and you you see uh, basically the the destructive uh, uh, energies left in her wake of how she lives her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, as a character study, is fascinating. And Kate Blanchett is a phenom. Actually, every performance in this thing uh, was just Nina Haas is awesome. Yeah. Uh, like even like I love like Mark Strong was there. Like <laughs> the, I just the, I don't with know the best wig ever. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> so like uh, uh, the the. What I was seeing the entire time did have me sort of like glued to my seat. And I will say it's a two hour and 40 minute movie. And it didn't really feel that way to me. Uh, but the, here's the weird side flippity do of that uh, particular opinion. I got less and less interested in this movie, like, and what it was saying and where the plot was going, the more it, the, the further down the line it went. Okay. It never got to the point where I was like, all right, wrap it up. Like, right. it never got there. Right. But even the sort of shocking ending, and shocking in a different way, we'll get to it, um, is just sort of like, you realize at the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, this is where this would go. Like, and you're experiencing it, right? Like, the, the, the journey the journey that you're going on is you experience that someone going through what, what Lydia is, is going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not you are with her or against her or whatever, that's all on you. Um, but like, I was kind of hoping for a little more, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe to be perfectly honest, that might be, that might be my sort of movie snob talking. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I've been trained by films of this ilk to sort of like expect that knife twist or expect a sort of like larger pull at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, and this didn't really have that overall. Like you kind of knew you could see Lydia Tarr's trajectory very clearly from the beginning. And while it is incredibly interesting, mm. by the time I got to the two hour mark, I was like, I think I got this. Right. Like, I think I know what we're saying and what's going on. It's funny. I went with a friend of the show, Will Temper, and I forgetting his exact words, but he's like, yeah, there was a certain point where I was like, oh, oh, this is just a. Uh, uh, hyper tame black swan. <laughs> huh. And I was like, I was like, huh. kinda. You know, kinda? It, it, you know what's funny is that I, I was thinking about comparisons this morning as well. Black Swan is not one of I mean, other than New York, uh Sure. New York. There's look, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways it's not. I just liked <laughs> that like I don't know, I liked the analogy. Um the the actual movie I thought a lot about, which will totally be in the exact opposite direction to this movie is Alexander Payne's election with mm. Matthew Broderick uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Reese Witherspoon. Because that is a film in many ways about the downfall of a person with uh, excessive power within the field that they work in. And, and of course, election is, a, is, a, is an outright comedy um, with a sort of irreverent look at the way in which that power manifests itself and the way in which it, it, um, the, the person who wields that power has that power go to the head and the, the sort of excess hubris that, that, that comes with it. Um, but I think that's actually kind of where, I, I, for me, uh, uh, Tar felt like a very serious election. Um, (laughs) in many ways. And, um, and I actually, I, I I absolutely flat out loved this film and I, but you know, with, while also recognizing for me, it was actually the opposite, which was that the first 
hour and some change, I was struggling to see what the movie was about. Um, you know, I, I thought uh, Blanchett's performance was extraordinary. I think uh, Fields' writing, in terms of having like what was probably a 15-minute opening, which is just an interview uh, with Adam Gopnik on the <laughs> at the Lincoln Square stage, um, uh, you know, talking about how great this person Lydia Tarr is, and basically giving you uh, a, a massive biography about her. Um, I thought that was just like pretty ballsy and and also really engaging to watch because you're you're it's doing this amazing thing which is that while simultaneously telling you about Lydia Tarr you are also learning how much Lydia Tarr controls her own image uh, in that sequence uh, really beautifully uh, as as played by her um her assistant um uh Francesca Oh you talking about Anomaly Merlant? Yeah, who who we last saw in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um and who is also reciting the lines that Adam Gopnik is reading about Lydia Tarr as we watch Lydia Tarr get ready for her interview with like this beautifully uh tailored suit and uh and and seeing her entire process as she gets up on stage. So one thing about that scene that I think is incredibly effective and what actually I think sustained me long term from the movie mm-hmm. is it did all those things that you said, like no question. Right. In addition, I think it tricks our brain. Uh, I have watched interviews and, and been to presentations to where where very famous, very talented people are in that same position. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get the laundry list of things and it's very cultivated and whatever. And it's and it's it feels very scripted uh, until like moments like that punctuate where it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like what that did for me as a viewer was it put my brain in the space of like. This is a biopic, not about a real person. It, it, but it it, felt, it's remarkable, though, how how rich and detailed it is where you go, this could be a real, real person. It, and <laughs> that interview does a lot of heavy lifting to set that stage because yeah. we only sit through 15 minutes of fucking titles and pomp and circumstance in real life for incredibly talented, famous people. So if this is happening in this movie, your brain instantly goes like, oh, Lydia Tars is famous and is very important. Well, I'm yeah. also, I'm and al- like, I was also thinking about like the opening of The Social Network, which is you know like that long 10 minutes dialogue back and forth between Mark Zuckerberg and his girlfriend. Which, but that's different. Which is establishing you know, like who this character is throughout the film, you know? Well, no, no, I'm not talking just about, I'm sorry, I'm not talking just about like establishing who, who the character is or how the character sees themselves or how cultivated they are. I'm talking about the relationship of the world to the character. Yeah, of course. It's, like, it's, it's enormous. She is center stage and and is enormously powerful in this world. And, so, and I, I don't think I would have believed it as hardly or rode along with it as long as I did. Yeah. With if that scene was shorter or different, well, like I think it just did a lot of really like important heavy lifting. I mean, the writer in me, uh, you know, who's written for um, you know films, uh, screenplays that need to be passed by readers, is going. I love that Todd Field is in such a class of his own where he can write probably what is twenty <laughs> pages of screen dialogue, which literally just telling us who this person is, and then this, and just being like, well, yeah, because I know if I wrote that, to be honest with you, the first note I would get is this needs to be three pages at best. Yeah, uh, you know, at two pages or one would be preferable, um, but this is like. 20 pages of like straight dialogue but it's really beautiful beautiful writing in terms of like 
establishing who she is, but also the way in which she views what she does. You know, like she talks about um, the the role of the conductor controlling time and the way in which, you know, with her left hand, she is creating tempo, but with her right hand, she is creating time and she is stopping time and also like finding the way in which the relationship between the audience and the con- and the orchestra is going to meet at exactly the right moment. And I was just like, ooh, Oh, and like, and then I was like, I really got to see like how she, you know, like her as a, as a conductor. Cause I, I know, you know, despite like the, the, the movie kind of talking about her and, and Leonard Bernstein, um, I was like, I, I, you know, my knowledge of what orchestra conducting is begins and ends generally with Bugs Bunny and what's up doc or what's yeah. opera doc. Um, and, and, and that's about it. So I was really, I was like. I don't know a lot about conducting, but I believe that this person's going to show me. And the next scene after, which is almost an equally length scene, a 20-minute scene, where she is teaching a class at Columbia University, or at, uh, at Juilliard, sorry. There's, there's a scene in between where she meets with uh, Mark Strong's character. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just like this really pointed display of kind of the thing that we've actually been talking about on this podcast many a time, which is uh, that, that the question of our art versus artist, um, you know, which happens in this, in this particular scene at Juilliard where uh, a stu- you know, she asks a student who is performing um, a piece of music. And, and the, uh, I, I actually, I want to come back to whatever the piece of music that this person was. It was uh, Bach, right? Well, he was doing something else, and then she was suggesting that he should do Bach. Yes. And, he was, and he was like, well, I'm not really into Bach because he was kind of a misogynist dick. And there's this really interesting, you know, like you can see immediately that that, that that kind of triggers her because she's like, well, sure, he was a misogynist dick, but he also like wrote the rules of classical music. And how are we going to ignore the rules of classical music? And, and it gets into this like beautiful, I mean, just exquisite, exquisitely written power play between these two characters on stage and all done in a single take uh, where she eventually snaps and he eventually snaps and they but but like done in a way that is no has no histrionics about it it's not like you know they yell at each other you can just see what their breaking points are and their breaking points for for him are like really clear he's much younger he doesn't have any power in the situation so he like you know just he swears at her and walks off screen but she like you she turn she you can see her getting upset and turns the screw further and further into him and makes subtle digs and insults at him and it's i i was like ooh you know I was like shivers up my spine kind of like man this is good i'm i'm into this um but i still was like unsure of what the movie was about was it going to be about this sort of question of art versus artist, which it does become uh, about. Is it going to be about the power dynamics in the classical music world, which it does become about? Was it going to be about the the hubris of Lydia Tart, which it does become about as well? It's it's There's a lot going on in those first couple of scenes that are really, really effective. Here's what I like about this movie. Because I, I, when I first got out of it, I was like, oh yeah, what is this about? Like, yeah. what is, all the things you just listed. Like, is that what it's trying to say? Is that what it's trying to, is that what it's trying to say? And here's the awesome part about this movie. It's not trying to say anything. It's showing you various things through the life of a person mm. that that most would call problematic at the end of the day. Yeah. And is it highlighting specific things that uh, people deal with around all of those issues? Absolutely. I do not think this movie is about anything but Lydia Tarr. And 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 that's okay. Like it's almost. I might even bring it back to Hassan's email. 
I think it's actually it's kind of nice and powerful because Speed Racer, right, mm-hmm. is about the feeling of Speed Racer. <laughs> it is about just the joy. Uh, it, it's uncynical. It's not trying to like make a huge point using Speed Racer. You are going through that movie knowing what you're getting and you're just getting something that's uncynical and sort of straightforward, right? Here, I mean, there's there's a lot of cynicism to be had if you want it, but what I'm saying is like, this movie isn't like, and that's why cancel culture works like this, yeah. or and that's why you should separate the art from the artist. No, it it's... It's taking these binaries that we often take and have fun arguing or trying to prove or disprove and just kind of shooing everything off to the side and just being like, here's a person's life. They're kind of shitty most of the time. Uh, but now you can highlight a lot of different things because they're also super talented. They're also this. They're also that. So, like, I, mean, I really enjoyed that it was more a look at a person and what the the issues are 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 sort of churning around them but it's not like say, it's not using Lydia Tar to say one thing or another it's you get to witness this these are all here and now you make whatever calls you'd like and it's it, just sort of not a lot of movies do that to that level of like different topics it's certainly not a it's certainly not a um a social issues t- uh, social issues film it's not it's not saying we are go- let's talk about me too let's talk about cancel culture let's talk about yeah. separating art from the artist it is and that is that amazing quality to it which again which is you know you remarkable feeling that you get which is that Lydia Tarr could be a real person and this could be a biopic about a real human being because it feels so rich and so nuanced and so detailed that again, even like you're saying, maybe I'm sort of saying it as, as a potential negative, but you're sort of saying it as, as a positive here, which is that you don't really, I certainly, as I was watching it, was, was very unclear as to what the movie was about or what the movie was getting at. Um, you know, an hour and some change into the movie. But as it rocked into what it really was getting at, I was also really appreciative about how subtle it was in in navigating the issues that it was that it was navigating. So uh, as we get into spoilers here, uh, and I also want to say this movie is, uh, has not opened wide yet, so it is currently only screening in select theaters, and oh. then it will open wide on October 28th. So at this point, if you haven't seen the movie, it is a it is an absolute recommend for me. It's one of the best of the year kind of recommends for me. Um, I would say same. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it for all of I, I have a few misgivings about it, and again, uh, my my buy in sort of waned as the film went on. Right. But I never was like like I said, I was never like get me out of here. I was always like, oh okay, like and, it, like it was it was just an enjoyable, uh, interesting. It's an interesting fucking movie. And, and like uh, I actually had this sort of uh, um, experience at the end of it, which is that I I felt like I have this bad habit right now, which is that like basically if I leave my phone for. 20 minutes I will come back and there is a flurry of emails and things I need to look at and things I need to deal with so I'm always like looking at my phone obviously but uh, I don't I don't look at my phone during movies but mm-hmm. what happens is when the credits roll I turn my phone over to see this flurry of email and what I find happens is is that I forget the feeling of the movie really quickly because I've suddenly switched gears into like work mode. And I had this experience, which was that it was like two and a half hours long. And I was like, I felt like there'd been a lot of activity uh, that I would need to deal with uh, as the, as the credits rolled in this movie Uh, or the end credits, because I have to say there is a, there is a first set of credits as well. Um, But at the end credits, I, I made the real conscious choice. I was like, 
I actually do not want to look at my phone. I don't want to look at, think about anything else other than the experience I just had watching this movie. And I want to sit and soak in it for the next 20 minutes. And so I actually like, you know, just walked around, um, you know, walked around outside and did not look at my phone, did not think of anything. I was just that invested in, in the experience of what I had seen. So again, hard recommend from me, absolute go see this. Um, however you can see it, go see it. Um, and also see Todd Field's other movies, uh, in the, in the, I think both in the bedroom and little children are being nominated for Oscars. He's been nominated, you know, um, incredible film. Well, you're saying in the bedroom, and I keep thinking of that song, and I can't remember who sings it. The, Here in your bedroom, I can turn my head on. I don't know what you're thinking. No? Nothing? Nope, nothing. No? Okay. Well, email us in. Only movie podcast at gmail.com. When I think of in the bedroom, I think of Marissa Tomei, Nick Stahl, and the actor from The Full Monty, whose name I've gone blank on, and Sissy Spacek, and Tom Cruise's first cousin, Mapather. When I wake up tomorrow, will you have changed? Because I still feel the same. Nada. And we just got DMC8. But the, <laughs> my point Z- is, that's what I keep thinking of. <laughs> um, I don't want to ask you what you're thinking of when I say little children. But um, uh, Well, apparently not your search history. <laughs> not my search you... history. Um, I, I absolutely love this film. And so what, what happens as the film goes on is that it becomes a... Uh, an examination of, in one part, in one part only, uh, among many things, an examination of both the, both undoing the mythology of Lydia Tarr as 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 made up in that first New York uh, time New Yorker interview, and then secondly, um, an examination of the power dynamics at play that come with being Lydia Tarr, and there's this really fascinating thing, which is that. The film also is subtle enough to not ever quite show us what she's done, other than in little details. And so we're never actually fully 100% sure of how much of a monster she is or how capable of a monster she is or how terrible the things are that she's done. Like Because there's an interpretive quality to it, which I think the film is smartly wanting us to keep on the interpretive side of. Because... As well as being brilliant at what she does and absolutely passionate about what she does, you know, like the my stories everyone described, she's also a very loving mother that has like a really beautiful, but at times uh, peripherally toxic relationship with her daughter Petra. There's an amazing scene where she, where Lydia threatens a little girl um, in German and in a way that like was quite terrifying to watch. That's uh, also it. It was at that moment. She here mm. when the, she goes up and she's like, hey, I'm so-and-so's father. Yeah. And I, uh, if you mom. give her shit, yeah. I will make you disappear. And <laughs> do not tell other adults this because they will not believe you because I am an adult. And at that point, yeah, I was like, oh, everything that is hinting at she is done and it is real because that kind of mentality, not even just the ridiculousness of saying that to a child, right? but like, no, that's how she thinks. I can do this. I will get away with it because no one will believe you. Like, it, <laughs> I she think spells very, it out. I think it's a very valid reading of that. I did see that scene as being the tongue-in-cheek, um, tongue-in-cheek approach the way that parents can deal with other kids. Like, like you know, again, a problematic artist and actually really worth bringing up, but Louis C.K. talks about how he threatens to kill this other kid uh, on the playground because they, you know, like did something to his kid. And but that's I, and kind like of my point. I've seen it, a thousand times. 
it can be both. Yeah. And I think it is both. People laughed at that scene in, yeah. in the audience. And I chuckled at it. It was funny. Yeah. But then you stop and think about it when the movie's over. You're like, oh, that's, that's the tell. That's the tell. That's the person that she is. And But, but what, I, what I love is that, okay, so, so and, and this is what the thing I wanted to bring about uh, in terms of talking about what the, the first kid in the Juilliard class, what um, music he was actually mm. uh, um, conducting. Because my suspicion is, and I could be wrong about this, is that he was conducting the music of Krista, who was the woman uh, who was a former um, um, uh, cellist, I believe, at, in the Berlin um, Orchestra that uh, Lydia has had an affair with or uh, intimated that she's had an affair with. I thought she was accordion. A cor- no, I don't think she's an accordion, right? I think she was a cellist or... I don't know. They kept bringing up the accordion. Well, she has an accordion, which uh, I, I don't think there's many accordions in orchestra. I don't think so either. Yeah. That's why I was getting confused. No, no. Anyway, sure. Uh, let's go with cellist. Yeah, yeah, it could be something else. Um, but she has had an affair with uh, Krista, um, and Krista has taken uh, has not uh, the, the end of that relationship has not gone over well with Krista. I think the way her assistant describes it is that she, the emails are getting more and more threatening or more and more strange. And she uh, we see in an early scene when Lydia receives a present from Krista, or we don't know who Krista is at this point, but she receives a present, which is um, a book, and in that book is the series of patterns that we will then later learn the meaning of uh, as the film goes on. But she immediately discards the book uh, even though it looks to be kind of a uh, a fancy printing of a book or something like that um, did we learn the meaning of the, the the maze pictures so the maze pictures were inside the metronome um, so which means that Krista was inside you know like would have been in her house and you know like saw the inside of that metronome and so you know would draw those patterns and of course oh interesting and then and then there's a scene later on when Lydia walks into Petra's room and Petra is drawing those metronomes which like it's with clay it's with a bunch of clay yeah and which is you know again reinforcing this like sort of threatening idea and see I didn't pick that up to be perfectly honest like I, I thank you for sort of clearing that up for me I didn't pick up that oh it's the metronome Metronome, so she was in the house, or she was with it. Like, I, and I guess that well, does make total sense. Yeah. I just took the metronome as another creepy spot. Those things were, yeah. but what you said makes a thousand percent because it's sense. in the book as well. So, like, she, you know, like this is obviously a point of intimacy between them, which Lydia has now completely rejected. Um, right, and I, I just, I, but I love that you know, like again, uh, it's it's a detail that like we're like, well, what was that relationship? Like, how did it work? And was Krista unstable? Was Krista someone, you know, when, when Lydia, we, we learn later that Lydia sends emails to every orchestra that Krista is applying to and saying to them unequivocally, you should not hire this person. Uh, you know, I would warn you against it. And then Krista commits suicide uh, because, probably because of that. You know, there's a part of me that's going, well, was Krista unstable? Like, you know, she's sending here these books. Maybe this well, relationship is unhealthy. It doesn't matter if Krista was unstable or not because what uh, what Lydia did uh, because because whether a person is unstable or no, uh, if you know the 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 power dynamic, I don't know that it but, just but, it but feels like maybe she was like maybe Krista was someone that you know Lydia in her professional capacity could not recommend to other people. That's possible, right? right? But I'm saying but I'm saying that's neither here nor there when that line gets crossed. Like it doesn't really matter. Right. Well, uh, well, no, no. I, I guess what I'm saying is, we don't in the film ever really know 
when the line got crossed. Or what, what I'm degree. saying is she had an affair with this woman who was in her was yeah. in her orchestra. And then when she cut it off, I mean, she shouldn't have been having that affair with the woman in the orchestra. So it's not it doesn't matter if Krista was the the sanest person of, of uh, uh, mental health town. She shouldn't be or, having an affair. Now, it, do we do we actually 100 percent know that she was having an affair with Krista? Like Yes. It, but here's the thing we don't know. Yeah. Is if uh, her wife, Sharon, played by Nina Haas, uh, was fine with it or not. We don't know. I that. think she was. The way that she talked, she knew that, like, the, by the end of the movie, again, spoilers, 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 she admits that, like, every relationship that Lydia has is transactional, sans her daughter. Yeah. And she understands this thing. She even lets her keep, like, her old apartment. There's a bit of a right. joke in that yeah. th- sort of thing. Um, so. I don't I, like. It's funny. This this movie is full of things where it's like, oh, there's allowances for things, but then there's not. I think in their relationship that that they were that that uh, Nina knew and was fine with every person that sort of uh, Lydia was with up until Sophie, the new cellist, yeah, because she was kind of sort of I think hiding that more due to the entirety of the Krista conspiracy, like trying to keep that even closer to the chest than usual. And also, uh, but but again, she. Um, Lydia doesn't quite uh, what's the phrase I'm hearing trying to work here like you always feel with Sophie the cellist that Lydia is intimating she would like to be intimate with her but it, that, oh but yeah it, Sophie doesn't give a shit but Sophie is not reciprocating this yeah. at all and I and I love the Sophie character by the way mm-hmm. the, 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 I, I listened to an interview uh, from the New York Olga uh, Matina uh, yeah for the New York Film uh, Society not Russian <laughs> not Russian she's Polish I believe or, or something like she that she learned Russian off of YouTube or learned a Russian, Russian off accent of off of YouTube which is exactly how she talks about like her, her cellist uh, how she learned to, to play certain notes uh, and um uh, I love that that she was basically she's a cellist who kind of went into this you know like with no sense of like oh am I going to be an actress sure why not she's exactly that person and I kind of love that about her but also like again we see um, Lydia you know sort of trying things with her including um, uh, offering up the uh, the solo for the uh, um, for the cello uh, for the cello performance up to audition, which is a- as far as we understand. Like I was kind of like, again, not a person who knows much about the orchestra world, but l- watch that moment when oh, she is breaking all kinds of protocol here, and you can see the way she's doing it and the way she's like sort of trying to make it seem as though she's being democratic about it, but yeah, but is actually like breaking all protocol just because she wants to get. Um, uh, this character in her favor, and you know, like we we never quite um, we never quite sort of. I think it's really smart that we don't see Lydia, you know, like actually get into an affair with Sophie, or we don't, you know, like we we know that she's kind of trying something, or that she's smitten by her, but we don't know like to what extent that you know, like Lydia is willing to go. And I, well, I think I, we know. I think we do know what, where Lydia's willing to go. The great thing about this is, I think it's the first time in Lydia's life right. with this stuff, all of these gifts and this moving things forward, and like all of this thing moving on trips and yada yada yada, isn't working. They go to New York together because uh, she tells Nina, of course, she needed someone to carry her things. The, so um, for you, the child thing was the was the you know like thing the the, the tipping point for me. It was yeah. taking Sophie to to New York. I was like, this is like a really dumb move at this. But point. the funny thing is 
I love it when she, they're like coming back from their like day or whatever. She's like, oh, so so dinner in like a half hour, yeah. and uh, then uh, Olga's like, nah, I'm turning in, <laughs> and she's like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, of course, of course, of course. And then when she leaves, she sees Olga like dressed like to the nines, <laughs> getting in the out. elevator, and it's like, oh, yeah. I I love that. I, I just I love that there's this sort of like. Um, there's not like a hundred percent of a power play here, you know. Like we're not ex- exactly sure. Um, and I, I, I really well, she's trying. Here's the interesting she's trying. thing. She's certainly trying, and we know that she's trying. Here's the interesting thing about celebrity and generationalism. Olga's character from from the get go was just sort of like a. Oh yeah, I want to do this. So like, I'm doing it. Whatever. Sort of yeah. like this isn't. This is not my life's work. I'm psyched to be doing it, but like, whatever. And I think she kind of uses uh, Lydia's sort of uh, wandering eye to her favor, etc. Yeah. But she also doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit. Uh, once, especially sort of once she gets that chair seat or whatever to do the thing, she's like, "Oh no, I'm good." Yeah. And like, she doesn't. She's not in. <laughs> she's awe not interested anymore. in the game. Which uh, Francesca uh, is very, you know, Francesca, uh, her her personal assistant, who has yep. been like basically in servitude of Lydia for the last however many years, in the hopes to becoming second chair at the second conductor at the orchestra, um, you know, has been worked with and is is so immediately discarded. Uh, and I just I I think that that interplay is again. It's really subtle. It's like the thing that you were talking about, which is that there's no explosive moment here. There's just a buildup of many tiny little moments that all add up to something which we're not 100% certain of. But we know that more than likely, Lydia is the kind of person who has abused this power in some way. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk for a second about the David Lynch in the room. The David Lynch um, in the room. uh the 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 tone of this movie and different sort of vignettes Mm. of oddities okay and i was always to the point where i was always expect i was almost expecting around every turn i was like oh is this where the ghost is gonna show up like it was that level of there's a there's a there's a macabre to the whole thing right yeah yeah and and i was trying to place why those things existed like the first one other than like very 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 small things the first like large one was when she's running and hears like the fervored screaming in the woods right and that doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. but like that at that moment and it's funny like i don't think there's a, uh, a a straight through line from like that moment to like meaning something about what's happening in the film but that is the moment where her life starts unraveling it's also like, i think prior to us learning that uh, krista has killed herself right no no she's, no krista is already dead no i don't I, 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 yeah. I, I don't believe krista's died at this point i believe uh, so but uh, we'll, we'll have to go back and someone yeah. write us in who's seen the um, movie but the the um that is when everything starts to spiral yeah and then uh, the secondary moment is when she follows Olga in to give her the stuffed bear she forgot. Yeah. But then, like, Olga disappears. Well, I what I liked about that was that Olga has a different life than these characters. Like, Lydia lives in the world of private jets, you know, a beautiful apartment, private cars. Uh, and then she goes down to see where, you know, like she follows Olga to where we presume Olga's home is. And it's not actually Olga's home. It is this decrepit, like 
probably a pathway to some other place, but we get the impression that this is, uh, you know, Olga, by being dropped off in this one location, uh, is leading some kind of double life. We don't, either she's just... Not a double life, that could just be her life. My, my weird life, thing, yeah. my weird thing was, she's screaming for her to give her back a thing, and she only walked away five seconds ago, and she's gone. And then during that scene... I'm like, that's fucking weird. And then there's like a weird dog and she <laughs> runs and she falls and she hurts her face. But like then after the trip to New York, I was like, oh, Olga just probably went into her apartment in that thing. It was like, I don't want to talk to this fucking no, of woman. Not. I don't want to deal with her. Like, I'm like YouTube generation, baby. Uh, yeah. So like, <laughs> Olga is one of my favorite like characters of the year, by the way, at this point. Um, there's a the thing that I think that Todd Field talked about, which is that the... Uh, um, Lydia hear like there's a certain condition where she hear like certain noises are are really off putting to her like so you'll notice when the um the kid in the uh, in the Juilliard scene is constantly tapping his feet and Lydia kind of grabs it at one point because it's really bothering her or when she hears the metronome going you know it wakes her up in the middle of the night uh, because the metronome is 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 going or there's like a a humming in her refrigerator there's a sound in her car you know like these things really. Uh, play at Lydia's psyche, um, and then the, and then there's this. Uh, I think it's called kinophobia, where the like uh, sudden repeated mo- or repeated movements really bother her as well. The second string conductor, oh, the second conductor, um, is constantly playing with his pen and like clicking it on and off. And when Lydia goes in to fire her, he turns to the wall to show her something, and the first thing she does is grabs the pen off the table and puts it behind her back and into her pocket as like a little like just a little power move there because. We know for him, clicking his pin is kind of his like rhythm section. It's his like comfort yeah. move. And for her, she wants him not to have that during this moment uh, as she's about to fire him. So, you know, we get the sense that there are these sort of sensory qualities to what Lydia uh, experiences that like really play on her psyche. Um, and I think that, like, you know, like the boots, the sound of um, Sophie's boots sure. as she walks up and down the <clears throat> stairs is like a real. Tri- you know, some sort of trigger to her. But the way that the, all this is filmed oh, is to beautiful. give you a sense of unease with all of it. And yeah. not, not, this is the interesting thing, like, because your read on it, is, I think, is dead on. These are things that just, like, itch, itch at her psyche. Yeah. But the way it is presented is like a fucking ghost story. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, and, it's and I still don't know, I still don't know why the metronome just started in the middle of the night. It's... Uh, <laughs> but it could have been the daughter, even though she said it wasn't. Well, the daughter uh, the daughter ends up drawing the pattern that's in the metronome, uh, so the daughter so may have been did. playing with the metronome and then put it back in it and and, and clicked it off. Who knows? Um, but I I love those little details. You know, the other thing, um, you know, I mentioned that it's <laughs> this movie reminded me of uh, Election. It also reminded me of a Michael Haneke film. You know, like uh, like Hidden or something like that, where there are these unnerving little details that like just play enough into your psyche. And for a person like Lydia who is wondering about whether the walls will come tumbling in on her because she lie, you know, she lies about the situation. I think those things will play on her mind uh, in, in really interesting ways. And I think it's really, again, just this like, the, the thing with Field's direction is that it's really self-assured and so confident that it doesn't require a lot you know, like to, to right. do a lot. And I think that's what's that's what's great about his direction is that like it, he just does these little things that just played up. And again, we haven't actually talked much about Blanchett's performance here because it's extraordinary. You know, like she is like Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood at this point, which is that she is this like 
incredibly difficult character but so magnetic to watch and so like you just can't take your eyes off of her we've been talking about her we've been talking about lydia tar like she's a real person she's a real person and that, and that is Kate Benchley is playing her so and, beautifully yeah that is it's just perfect and i know that uh todd wrote the character for her yeah. and then didn't want to like jinx it and like he, the, 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 again, the story goes that he wrote her name on a post-it note, and every morning when he walked into his office, said, "Good morning, Kate," uh, and then and then kept working, right? Uh, and then didn't want to tell the studio uh, until he talked to her, just in case, like all this other stuff. Yeah. So like, so good, so so. I mean, just an amazing performance from her, and I and then you know, like it really does get into this question about her downfall, and and it really gets into sort of this like interesting. Uh, interplay of what she was talking about at the beginning of the film with both the relationship that she has to time, you know, like that time has now stopped for her. Uh, it is no longer moving forward. And also the relationship of the artist with their audience and with the people around them. Because now this person who is an EGOT at the beginning of the film uh-huh. is now tainted um, by the suicide of one of her former students to the point where there are protests now at her book signing in New York. And that is when you know she brings Sophie to New York. And I was like... Oh boy, this is a dumb move. If ever there were dumb moves, this is one of them. Yeah, um, social media is like fresh meat, or like uh, yeah. cars fresh but, meat. But or also, whatever. the social media aspect of it is really, um, is really um, harsh. You know, like the way in which her her like someone recorded that uh, that that class and re-edits it so that she looks like she is actually like being completely inappropriate with those students mm-hmm. at that moment, despite trying. You know, like yes, she does probably cross a line, but but it is couched in a sort of like intellectual rhetoric. You know, it's funny. I don't think it's, it's strange. Well, I do not agree with the things she was saying to the student. I don't think <laughs> yeah. she crossed the line, but uh, it was very easily edited to then look like she crossed the line very yeah. cleanly. Although the edits kind of sucked, and she yeah. even called that out. And she and she but called like, it out, but it doesn't matter, right? Like that's the no, point. it doesn't matter. It doesn't well, that's matter. what social media is. You know, yeah. like it's it is what it is. Um, the the thing that so remember how I said I was like. I kind of knew where it was going, and then it sort of. I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm on this ride," but it like sort of interested me less and less. It, honestly, the the more the closer she got to the fall, like or the end, I guess she's constantly falling. Yeah. Um, the less I kind of was like cared because I I I like it goes through all of the tropes a little bit of like the the failing, like you know, protests at the book signing and yeah. this, that, and the other thing, and then the big thing you're working towards, you lose, and then a oh, moment and lose of spectacular oh, yeah. flashing. And then she snaps and, yeah. and like tackles the, the other dude who was doing it, who she was meeting with at yeah. the uh, uh, the thing. Uh, and then she has to get a new publicist and do a whole different thing and restart her and journey. And she's now she, taking cabs and signing livery tickets. Uh, and she takes and she takes uh, she goes home outside of the boroughs yeah. and uh, runs into what you assume is her brother. And you learn her name's actually Linda. Linda, yeah. Uh, and then uh, she goes to a unnamed uh, South Asian country. Uh, and uh, starts doing work there as a composer for something, and you're not quite sure what it is, but she's working out of, like, uh, basically, like, cafes and things rather than, like, opulent offices. Yeah. And then she finally does it. She's still giving, like, she's still doing the hard work that she always does because she does truly, I think, love music. Yeah. And then she starts performing it, 
and you realize, and I wasn't sure about this, I had to look it up. Right. But it's actually uh, the game Monster Hunter. Okay. I didn't so know what the, it was. I, so I, yeah. it, it reminded me of Monster Hunter, and I'm not sure if they had like the rights to all the full things, but it's actually playing off of Monster Hunter concerts. Monster Hunter is a series of games. I believe it started in 2000. I don't remember when the first one came out. But like, there's been a ton. Uh, I played Monster Hunter World for a long time. It's a Wasn't great franchise. Wasn't Mila Jovovich movie? Yeah, it's bad, and right. it doesn't have a lot to do with the games. Okay. But- um, the 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 music is something that the fans are really obsessed with, and there are lots of concerts where they play game footage, huh. and and a live orchestra does the stuff, and people dress up for them. It is a, it is a <laughs> that, phenomenon. I, I didn't see. I didn't know what it was. I kind of was like, I just went. Well, for her, this is a different place than where she. And so be. here's how I read it, and right. it's and it's interesting because on one hand, you could see the way that she deals with the pomp and circumstance of high forms of orchestral uh, conducting. This is her hell, right? But at the same time, she still treats it with the same care and vigor that she did her other performance, even though we're getting video game dialogue in front of a bunch of cosplayers. Now, so that, it goes back to me sort of, it's a different style of discussion about art versus artist. Right. It almost becomes like art versus audience. Huh. Because, because now she's in a position where the audience is there and loves the music. That's why they're there. They're not right. there for her. Right. They're there to hear Monster Hunter tracks. Right. They don't give a fuck who's conducting the orchestra. <laughs> I, I love. They want to hear the music. I love that she still has a scene where she goes, "Let's talk about the composer's intent here." Right. Right. <laughs> like, but that's the thing. Like, she. It's so funny because, on one hand, yes, this could absolutely be her hell. On another one, this is her lifeline, and she might still love that she's doing it. Right. Like. It's so interesting when you get to the end of the movie. Now, again, I keep I keep sort of singing praise on it, but like up until that point, and and again, it's funny because it's a shocking ending. But like, if you don't understand what's happening, you're like, is she at Comic Con? Like, what the fuck is happening? I I'll be hundred percent honest. I did not know what was happening, but I still was like, and, and that was actually part of that reasoning where I sa- I was like, I want to sit down and just soak in what I've experienced here and think about it. But that's what I like. That's what I really like about that sort of AKA twist ending is yeah. it re- it changes focal point. Yeah, it used to be on tar, and now for better or worse, whether she loves it or hates it or both, because she probably does, it is now truly just the music. Right. It's just not an audience that you think that character would respect. But it almost doesn't matter because now it's all about the music. It's a really interesting dichotomy. Of of uh, honestly like audience intent in a weird sort of way. Well, let's bring it back to the question then: is that does the fall that Lydia Tarr experiences in this film is it justified by the actions that Lydia Tarr the character has taken throughout the course of the movie? Um, maybe not the. The things that we are presented specifically, mm-hmm. but again, merit is such an interesting thing. We all love watching people fall because we're monsters. Um, th- the tone of the human being whose life we are with for two and a half hours 
the totality of that and the vibe you get from all of the interactions, not just the 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 cancelable moment, quote unquote. I would say, honestly, weirdly, like because she's such a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like selfish and or self righteous person for everything outside of her daughter. Mm. She kind of gets off light. I think she's she gets still. Off, I mean, she loses everything, including her daughter. Yeah, but she still gets to do the thing that she absolutely loves. And that's like, kind of a testament to her at that point, right? Like, like maybe that's the cool thing <laughs> yeah. about this movie. There are there are double meanings or double readings for everything. Right? Is this is this a lifeline? Is this the thing that's going to save her, or is this the thing that's going to drive? This is the final fucking coffin nail. Like you don't quite know because right before this, you see her watch a VHS tape. I forget of the composer who's talking about the meaning of like what they why they do what they do and you can tell this was a formulative v, uh, VHS tape for her growing up where she like she, the, her love of music and her love of conducting sort of spawned from things like this and then she takes that and does this sort of reinvention thing which again many canceled folks tend to do that right um what I like about this movie, as we sort of wrap this up, I'll just sort of say, is it takes, again, complex, normally presented in either media or film or social media as binaries, mm. and it presents it uh, as information across a life as opposed to a moral lesson one way or the other. We can all make our own moral judgments on whether Lydia Tarr gets what she deserves or is in a good or bad place or whatever. The real genius of this film Despite, again, me sort of, uh, again, and it's a very, very minor decline in interest, but it's still as it went, I, 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 I sort of was like, okay, I'm, yeah. I, I understand. But the, the wonderful thing is we all get to make our own cases and not a lot of films let you sort of, I always say that, oh, it rides the knife's edge, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what this is because mm. that would that would define a specific point. This movie lets you exist on both edges of the knife. Right. And yeah. and that is something you do not see often. Right. And uh it, honestly it has gotten me uh excited to go check out Todd Field's other uh films that you've mentioned because if this is the pedigree, if this is sort of the his vibe, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like this. I don't. I don't need. I don't need everything to have this sort of uh, 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 moral imperative or or sort of tonal point. I just uh, like the ride along of this woman is fascinating, and you get to basically draw your own conclusions, which again could change depending on your mood, depending on revisits of the film, depending on so many different external factors going on in your own life. You, the viewer, again, the relationship between the audience and an artist. I don't know. It's fucking cool, man. Yeah, like, it's, great. it's and cool. Like, I, you know, like uh, as as you were talking about it, the person I was actually reminded of and thinking about was uh, Senator Al Franken, who fire who was fired for sexual misconduct. Um, but we're, you know, the, the actual, uh, extent of the sexual misconduct was, uh, never really, uh, there's, there's probably a good New Yorker article which explains it out in, in more detail. Um, but you know, we got the sense that there was an example being made, made out of him because of the way in which the democratic party didn't want to have anything on their hands that could be mis misinterpreted. It's and, almost like they thought the Republicans would play fair. So they tried <laughs> to play by some sort of rules. And, but, oh, but well. you know, like, was that fair on Al Franken and the life that he had built up for himself and the good work, you know, and I think 
think it's the conversation that we had when we talked about art versus artist. Uh, you know, I remember the the uh, the thing we talked about was. Uh, um, Fritz Haber, the person who um, formulated the nitrogen from air process, which you know uh, basically fed billions of human beings, uh, but also act gleefully, uh, you know, uh, uh, built mustard, you know, like developed mustard gas in order to cause the most harm to his enemies or to to the to the enemies of Germany, um, and you know, like that question of like what is good and what is bad, and like what is the you know, it's it's a question that that what's again amazing about the writing here is that it's the question that she raises at the beginning of the episode uh at beginning of the, the beginning of our episode and beginning of the movie um which is does the individual merits of this person have any relevance to the genius of the work that they have they have bestowed upon us and i i i think that's a really fascinating question and one that the movie seeks to explore in a, and doesn't give you a straight answer one way or the other because there is no answer to that question. And well, there's, you, a per, there's personal answers. But there's, there's personal no, like, answers, global sure. answer, yeah. But but there's no real effective answer to that question. Like you know, you could watch this and go, "Yes, this she got exactly what she deserved," or you could watch this and go, "Man, that's a really big fall to take for something." You know, like we don't exactly know the full picture of, and for most of the people involved, don't know the full picture of either. And I I I think that's. It's terrifying and it's haunting and it's deeply uh, upsetting, but it's also like I love that this movie explores that in great detail and in such great detail that you go Liddy, that that again we are we we are finding it difficult to make the distinction between Kate Blanchett the actress and Lydia Tyre the character because it's such a powerful. Um, extrapolation of of the performance in the real person like i remember listening to david fincher's commentary on um the curious case of benjamin button and he was like he he said this thing which has always stuck with me because he was saying it as the scene was playing out with kate blanchett he was like sometimes i walk into a room to give kate blanchett notes and i will be sitting there staring talking at her and i will just completely lose my train of thought because she is so luminous and so like so like unbearably um, watchable that I just forget what I'm doing, and and I I was thinking about that as I was watching the first half of this movie in the way in which she's up on stage and she's like you know she is this put together version of Lydia Tarr, and then as the movie unravels, you know we see that face kind of like that facade fall away, and it actually like it, you know in the performance, in the makeup, in the hair, in the suits, in everything, it is stripped away in the in the in the you know the 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 limousines and the private jets to the you know sign the taxi voucher um and uh you know this is the the room you're staying in linda um you know i think that it's such a really compelling honest depiction of the way in which people's lives are undone and whether that is right or wrong is up for the audience to discuss when and think about um and yeah i just and uh, this was a such a great movie to watch in a theater this was such a great theater movie, you know. Such also, a, my theater was fairly packed for a Monday night. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great you know word of it's mouth. It's a movie. real New York movie. It's a very yeah, it's a very New York New York experience as well. Um, but it's you know it's a great movie to see in a theater. This is this is what I live for in terms of like going to see a movie on the big screen. Is like, would you say if if filmmaking, if film craft or film viewing even 
was pod racing. Would you now say, now this is pod racing? <laughs> now this is pod Is that what Speed Racer says? Or is he goes, go speed, no, go? That's not, no, I'm just did, quoting did just shout, Go speed, go. Would I, would, I be, would I be like in the front row going, go tar, go? Go tar, yeah. go? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that might be questionable in and of itself. But no, yeah, go see this movie. Go see it in the theater when it opens wide. Do it, do it, do it if you haven't already. And, you know, I think it's very well worth it. Anyway, this has been the only podcast about the film tar. Shahir... When you are not getting whatever black sticky substances are all over your egots off of them and shining them to pristine perfection, where can folks find you? You can find me sinking in a pit of my own despair at my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are outside plucking the feathers off of a chicken to uh, add to my tar, where can folks find you? You can find me just selling all those leftover feet, I don't know, over at my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works, or any chicken parts I happen to be selling. Also, uh, Emperor MSK on Twitter or Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this uh, drops... Uh, ooh, we're doing an episode about um, how to in- basically imbue... Um, your your code with meaning, okay. Uh, in video games and how like what you write in your code will inevitably affect the emotional resonance of actually what happens when that code has gone through. It's very very cool. Please check that out. And we're also in the middle of our Easter Rising series, uh, uh, which uh, over on Extra History, which is very very cool. And then and then everybody, I believe two days after this episode drops, we'll be doing a So You Haven't Read on uh, the first eight uh, issues of The Sandman. Ooh, which okay. I'm very, very excited for. Uh, are you watching the show? I'm almost through it. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm very. I'm enjoying it very much. I have uh, not I love watched the, the comic. show. I, I have read the books. Um, I remember the diner episode. The diner book is kind of the great. Oh one. boy! Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They do it. Yeah. I'm um, very curious to, to see how that goes. But yeah, um, next week. What are we doing? There's a movie. There's a movie. She and I just had a meeting. We're gonna we're gonna be making some 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 uh, adjustments, hopefully for the better for the show. Nothing crazy is gonna change. Don't worry about it. But we're also going to try really hard to like have a plan in place yeah. uh, of what the next movie is to let you know to you know whatever. Because it turns out they do post movie release schedules <laughs> yeah, on the internet. We do know that uh, Avatar is coming out in December. Yeah, uh, uh, we do know Black Adam came out this week. Man, the uh, yeah, reviews for Black Adam, those first reviews for Black Adam. Wait, we might do Black Adam next week. Oh, is that is that coming out next week? It, it came out this week, I believe, or the review oh, embargo so the, came time, out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And yeah. those reviews are, uh, uh, they're sinking like a rock. Are you, are you telling me? <laughs> That the hierarchy of the DC universe isn't about to change because I've heard I've heard <laughs> that, the that power it is. of the DC universe is about to change. I've heard it, <laughs> uh, but maybe that has to do with Ezra Miller about to get twenty three years in prison. Twenty six. Uh, oh, well, pardon. I, I was trying to be. He was getting off light. I have no idea. I, that's a. Oh my gosh. Uh, WB superheroes in trouble. Um, anywho, yeah, maybe we'll do Black Adam next Ugh, week. I don't know. I don't know. Come on. I, I, don't. I don't want to dunk on the rock, man. <laughs> I don't think you don't that's have to. Maybe, what if it's your favorite film of the year? What if it is? What if you don't know. What if we go back and do a review of Morbius right now and it's like, you know what, guys? You're all wrong. It's fucking Morbin <laughs> it, time. It actually is Morbin <laughs> it time. It is Morbin time. Uh, <laughs> everyone, thank you so much for inviting us into your ears this week, and we'll talk at you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.